everyone. This is Julia Alperovich. That's a mouthful. And here's another episode of Undressing the Issue with me. As you guys know, I'm a Los Angeles-based therapist, and I specialize in working with all things surrounding sexuality, relationships, intimacy, attachment, infidelity, sex addiction, trauma, so on and so forth. And today, I'm in a feisty mood. Lucky you. So I want to get into a topic that has been coming up repeatedly in my sessions with my clients because if it's coming up repeatedly with my clients, I'm sure it's coming up repeatedly for all of you. So let's dive in. So in my work with sex addicts and their partners, their betrayed partners, um, most of the addicts are in recovery. They're working on getting sober, being honest, uh, really improving their communication, They're basically working on self-improvement. We could put it that way. And the issue that keeps coming up repeatedly is this question, really, more so than an issue, from the addicts of when will my work, what I'm doing in my recovery, all of these efforts to rebuild trust, when will it be enough? What the fuck does enough mean? What? What do you mean by enough? Enough so that your partner forgets about what you did. Enough to be forgiven. Enough that you no longer have to do this work. Well, you have an addiction. So recovery is a lifelong process. So what is enough? And why are you asking? So the reason why this question chaps my ass, I will tell you. I will share it with you. With my chapped ass. So... Basically, when that happens, right, typically this couple is at some sort of point down the road after there's been a discovery of the addict's addiction or there's been a disclosure and they've been doing some work. He's going to 12-step meetings maybe. They're doing some therapy. They're working on it. So he's putting in effort. He's trying to... um show his partner that he's trustworthy, that she can have confidence that he's being honest again, that there's no more lying. So, you know, he's working, he's doing some work. And usually partners often feel like, you know, they need to see consistency. I think I talked about this in my betrayal trauma episode, But I often refer to the four main ingredients of rebuilding trust as consistent transparency, voluntary transparency. Sorry, I forgot an ingredient. Consistent, voluntary transparency over an extended period of time. That extended period of time piece seems to be a doozy. And that is one that really triggers partners because a lot of them go, well, You're in the doghouse because you just got busted. So are you just on your best behavior for now? Like until you can come out of the doghouse and come back into the house? Or is this going to stick? Is this permanent? Have you actually had a paradigm shift? What, you know, what can I really rely on? Is this temporary? Do you actually want to get better? Are you self-motivated? 
Or are you just checking boxes and doing what needs to be done to appease me or to get me off your trail or to get me to shut up or whatever the reasons are? So that extended period of time piece is vital. You have to maintain this. It's not just a one and done type of deal. This is going to be an ongoing thing. It's kind of like how they talk about being a living amends in AA. That's the name of the game here. That is what you're doing. A living amends, meaning as long as you live, you will have amends to make. So when this question is posed in a couple session or even just in a conversation that the couple has at home, what addicts don't realize is that they just took a giant hot crap on their credibility with their partners. You are doing this work. You're trying to convince your partner to trust you again. And if you're like, okay, are we done yet? Are we done now? Now? Now do you try? Okay, not yet. Okay, got it. Tomorrow maybe? No, not yet. Too soon. Got it. Okay. I'll try again next week and ask you. When you do that, it just seems like you're trying to get it over with, like it's not an actual, honest, wholehearted attempt to do the work of restitution for your partner, to make it up to them, to rebuild the trust, to demonstrate a commitment to doing this repair work, to fixing the damage that you caused. You know, it's it, it actually kind of negates all of that. And it's interesting to me to see when addicts start asking this question. So for the partner, yes, it's going to be a trigger. It's going to raise all these fears that you're just on your best behavior and that's only temporary and it could go away as soon as I give you any any indication of forgiveness or acceptance or trust again. And so for partners, it keeps them on high alert. I'm not going to let you feel like I trust you because I'm worried that if I do that, you're going to stop doing the work. So that's what's happening for the partner. But what's happening for the addict? Let's take a look at that for a second. So when somebody who's in recovery, who's doing the work of recovery, gets impatient when they want to be done, whatever it is, it's, in my opinion, this is addict mentality. It's addictive thinking. Impatience is fear-based. It's a fear that I'm not going to get what I want or I'm going to get hurt or all this effort is going to be for nothing. It's it's fear and anxiety. It's a worry that things are not going to pan out the way I really, really, really want them to. Fair enough, but you know what? Things haven't panned out the way the partner wanted them to through your lying and infidelity. So the partner is not going to feel terribly inclined to comfort you around your fear of things not turning out the way you wanted them to. And honestly, I can't blame the partner for that. (laughs) They were lied to. They were betrayed. I get it. But on the addict's part, it's this fear of my work will never be done. The idea of forever having to be mindful is daunting. It's overwhelming. I get that. Forever is a long time. I mean, for me, even like a week is a long time. I don't remember what I did this time last week. 
Like, legitimately, all honesty, I have no idea what the hell I was doing at 4.15 last Sunday. So to say living amends a lifetime, it's overwhelming. And even the amount of time that they've put in already, it's not easy. Doing the work of recovery is uncomfortable, it's challenging, it brings up all sorts of emotions, it's not easy. And I say this to my addicts all the time, if you're doing your work and it doesn't feel difficult at any point, you're doing it wrong. It should be difficult. It's not supposed to be easy. Nobody told you it's gonna be easy. And if it's kind of a cakewalk for you and you don't really feel uncomfortable or you know pushed out of your uh, comfort zone or you're not feeling yourself struggling at times or getting tired, what are you doing? What are you actually doing? Are you doing the work? Because it doesn't sound like you're doing it right. This is a difficult process. And for anybody who's ever recovered from addiction and gotten sober from any kind of addiction, all of them will tell you that getting sober was the hardest thing they've ever done. So if you're just coasting, straight chilling, you're doing something wrong. But for somebody who is in recovery, who's used to having a coping skill that allowed them to numb themselves and not have to feel any negative feelings or discomfort, having to sit in discomfort without that tried and true coping skill that always worked is difficult. It takes time to develop that distress tolerance, that ability to sit with the discomfort. So they get impatient. And then it's, you know, is it going to always feel this hard? Is it is it the sort of thing where no matter how hard I work, my wife is never going to trust me again? I say my wife, and forgive me because I do generalize and often refer to sex addicts as male and partners as female. I've probably mentioned this before. It's not that that's the only thing I see. I see female addicts all the time. I see male addicts. I see non-binary addicts. But I will say that um, statistically speaking, the majority of sex addicts who seek treatment are heterosexual males, um, but there is every type of variation of demographics when it comes to sex addicts and betrayed partners. So forgive my generalization, uh, but I will explain that. And if I do it again, I apologize in advance, but I probably will. Sorry. So, so addicts... Um, have this impatience it's because they're thoroughly uncomfortable and they're used to having a quick fix so they're also looking for a quick easier way out with this because this is hard work so well I have a conversation with them when they start asking this question I ask them first to empathize with their partners how do you think it feels for your partner to hear you asking when you can be done do you think that it makes your partner feel safe? Do you think that it makes your partner feel like you're really committed to this process? Or do you think it might be scary for them? The answer is the last one, in case you didn't know. Um, and then I ask the addicts, what is it that makes it so difficult for you to stay in this process? What is it that makes you scared that no matter what you do, it's never going to be enough? Is that your shame talking, your shame and guilt around what you did and around the betrayal that, you know, feels at times so intense that you feel like it's never going to let you off the hook? Or is it just 
this lack of true commitment. You're not actually doing the recovery work for yourself. You're doing it to appease your partner. You're doing it to avoid an expensive divorce. You're doing it so that you don't keep pissing off your partner and eventually get them to tell your whole family what you did and then you're gonna have to be really embarrassed. So what's really the motivation behind this? Are we avoiding pain or are we overwhelmed by a really high amount of pain? Like what's really going on behind this impatience? So this is the direction we go in, but I kind of felt the need to, I don't want to say rant, but I guess that's what I'm doing, (laughs) to kind of rant about this because I see it all the time and I feel like it needs to be addressed. And I've told a lot of my couples, I've said to the addicts on, I can't even tell you how many occasions, don't ask that question. If you and I are meeting individually and your partner is not in the room, we can explore it. But as soon as you ask that question, you are basically sending a message to the partner that you're getting tired of having to do the work. And for a betrayed partner, that's a slap in the face because they have to deal with the trauma of the betrayal. And I assure you, that becomes tiring as well. And they would love to take a break just like you would, but they can't and you caused it, so they're angry. So don't ever ask that question. Ask your individual therapist, explore it with them. That is gonna be a much healthier route and it's also gonna help you develop much more insight about where this impatience is coming from. Where's your motivation level? Are you going into addictive thinking again and not even realizing it? How are you triggering your partner? What are you doing for this trust repair process? Are you enhancing it? Are you fostering trust or are you, as I said before, taking a hot crap all over it? So be mindful, be considerate, be empathetic. Don't just go into asking. And the flip side of that that I think should be addressed is when partners ask me, how long is it going to take for the addict in my life to be fully recovered? Well, Honey, I don't know. It depends. It depends on how committed your addict is. It depends on, you know, how how much capacity they have for doing this work of introspection and self-reflecting and really changing up their behaviors. It really depends on so many different things that it's hard to say. There are books out that say that the average, the average, mind you, quote unquote average, I mean, we're dealing with people and everybody's different. So how the hell could there be averages? But fine. In the literature, there, uh, I'm referring to Patrick Carnes's literature. I tap their literature. Excuse me. I just had Mediterranean food. So they say that the average is three to five years, three to five years. That's a long time. So I tell them this, I give them the statistic that's in the literature and I tell them, hey, do we start the clock over if the attic relapses? Do we um, count, you know, the 
amount of time that could be tacked onto this process because of your trauma and the symptoms of that. How do we really measure this? When did this actually start? When did we start the clock? And what is what is being done actually going to look like? Like, what are you, what is the goal exactly? What is the, concretely, what are we looking at for us to say we're done? Because after discovery of sex addiction, once you start the recovery process, for all intents and purposes, the relationship you had before discovery is dead and gone. It ain't never coming back. It's never going to be the same. You can't unknow the information that you got. It is gone. So anything from here forward is all new. It's uncharted territory. And you have to see what it's going to look like as time goes on. And yes, the first few years after discovery are really difficult when you're working through that, but it can evolve over time. And here's the other kicker. Even if the addict with the sex addiction goes into recovery, maintains sobriety, does all the work, reads all the books, improves their communication and their ability to be transparent and just cleans up their side of the street, there's still no guaranteeing that all that work is going to keep your marriage solid, not necessarily marriage, but relationships solid for the long term. Life can throw you curveballs and anything else can happen. It doesn't mean that now that we've gotten to this point of what we consider to be us being done doesn't mean that our relationship is guaranteed to work long term. Unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there are no guarantees with that. Any and every relationship is a gamble. It's a risk. You don't know. As dead sure as you were when you first got involved with this person that this was your life person that this is your partner this is your other half that you guys work and this is the best possible partner for you there's still no guaranteeing that it's actually going to work we all evolve over time as people we change we grow we may grow in different directions we may grow and actually grow backwards i mean anything can happen so there's no guaranteeing and in many ways that question is somehow looking for a glimmer of hope maybe a little bit of a guarantee something to look forward to and I, I really do empathize with those partners because the process is so difficult. So to feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, like there's this designated point at which everything just takes a turn. And after that, it's smooth sailing. I get how that would be a relief. But I would be lying if I said that there is such a thing. It's not like at year three, month nine, day 14, you're suddenly going to have this epiphany and everything is just going to pivot and it's going to be puppies and rainbows forever. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I'd be out of a job, but I still wish it did because it would really lower your suffering. And this is intense suffering. So yeah, that would be great if I could offer you that relief, but it doesn't work that way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So Both parties get impatient. I think it's important to note that. Again, impatience is fear-based. It's worrying and being scared that we're not going to get what we want. 
So we want to get there quicker to see if we actually do get what we want. It's a fear of being disappointed. So there's that piece, but also that whole question when it comes from a sex addict to their partner of when am I going to be done? When are you ever going to trust me? When am I going to be done with this work? That's a huge trigger. Don't say that to your partner, please. Please don't. And for partners, when they ask, when are we going to be done? How long is it going to take for us to fully recover? How long is it going to take before our our trust is repaired, our sex life goes back to normal, before I'm no longer triggered all the time? Well, I don't know. It depends. Everybody's different. You may rebuild trust but still get triggered. You may not get triggered anymore and just settle into coexisting with your addict's addiction and no longer trust either. I mean, it, it could go any way. So there's no real way to tell, but impatience doesn't serve you in the moment. You have to be here now. What happens tomorrow is not guaranteed, and there's no way for you to shift and maneuver and contort yourself today to ensure any kind of outcome tomorrow. We don't know, especially in relationships. So... Don't try to bank on that. Just work on you today. That's a really profound thing I just said, but it's it's so true. You can't predict, you can't measure, and you also shouldn't be getting attached to any one specific outcome because you never know how this is going to unfold. So there's my rant on asking, when will we be done? My answer is, I don't know. And for the addict asking their partner, my answer is don't ask that question to your partner. Bring it up to your individual therapist because you are going to trigger the shit out of that person. And it also dismisses how hard you're working and how badly your partner needs to see your consistency in continuing to do the work. So bad question, but I also get where it's coming from. I get the anxiety on both sides and... I get that people actually think this, but you also have to be mindful of how it's going to make the other person feel to know that you're thinking this. It's kind of what it means to be a partner. Anywho, uh, that is my rant on when are we going to be done? And I'm open to feedback. Please feel free, leave comments, ask questions, complaints, whatever it is that you want to put out onto the interwebs. And I'm happy to entertain them as much as my free time uh, allows me to. And hopefully we'll have more to talk about in our next episode. So thanks for listening, guys, and I'll catch you later.